Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. One of our goals here at CCGF is to help you take your next step toward Jesus and the person God designed you to be. We hope our sermons help you to take that next step. If you would like more information about the community here at Christ Church at Grove Farm, or if you would like to contact us, you can do all of that and more on our website, which is ccgf.org. And to get an even further taste of who we are, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to You. Well, this is Mother's Day. This is exciting. I am so excited that I get the chance to preach on Mother's Day. All you mothers out there, we're so excited that you are here. We're so thankful for you. The video showed you that. We're all here. I would like to ask all the moms, all the women in the room, every woman, please stand. Please stand where you are. Hold your applause, though. Please stand. No, don't applaud yet. Now look around and look at all these great ladies. Isn't it great to have you here today? I'm so thankful for you. You look so good. You look great. Some of you are young. Some of you are a little older. Some of you are like my age. And some of you could be my, you know, I'm not going to say that. All right, I'm looking at you, and I'm so grateful. On behalf of all the children and all of us husbands and everyone in this room, we are so thankful for you. I really mean that. We love you. We respect you. We appreciate you, and we appreciate all that you do. Happy Mother's Day. Let's put our hands together for all these ladies. You may be seated. Good to have you in the house today. Well, today our title of our sermon is this. We're talking about the influence of a mother. The influence of a mom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you and praise you for who you are. And I ask you, Lord, right now that you'd forgive me and cleanse me of any sin. And you'd fill me with your spirit, that you'd speak through me to your people. And we as your people wouldn't just be hearers of your word, but we'd be doers of it. You wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I remember seeing a poster, and it said this. When all is said and done, the greatest thing you will ever do is influence the life of a child. Greatest thing that you will ever do is influence the life of a child. I believe that statement is true, and I believe, moms, that God has positioned you uniquely, uniquely, to influence the life of a child, your own. Moms, there's a lot of ways in which you can influence your kids, but because of time today, we're going to look at how we can influence our children, our young people that live in our house and those that are around us, to influence our children to have faith in Jesus Christ, to have faith in Jesus Christ. Search Institute, which is a national known organization, did research and surveyed 250,000 young people across the country. Suburban, urban, and rural areas, 250,000. And they asked them many questions, but one of the questions they asked was this. Who influences young people in the faith? Who influences young people in the faith? And they could choose five different people. And this is what the research found. Look at this. It's amazing. Moms, you were number one. 73% of all the people who were Surveyed said mothers, and then fathers, you were at 53%. Pastors, you were at 45%, and it goes on and on. Moms, you have tremendous influence on your kids. So let's talk about how we can influence our kids to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through through 7, 
That's our passage. That's what we're going to be studying. But before we look at it, let me give you some of the background. The Apostle Paul has been arrested and he's seized in Rome. And he's been arrested because he's unwavering in his, in his commitment to Jesus Christ in the gospel. And Paul's in a dungeon. And there he begins to write a very personal letter to a friend of his who's known for 15 years. And this young man is at the zenith of his career, but the Apostle Paul is at the end of his. Paul knows that he's going to be beheaded in just hours. Could you imagine? Martyrdom is inevitable. I remember seeing an image on television that I'll never forget. 25 men kneeling on a beach with yellow-type orange, I can't remember, orange or yellow jumpsuits. And they were told that if they do not renounce their faith, that they would be executed. And they held to their commitment to Jesus Christ, and they were executed. The Apostle Paul is in that situation. There he sits in the jail, all alone. And he picks up, picks up a manuscript, a piece of manuscript, and he begins to write a letter, a very personal one. Matter of fact, it's his last letter he writes in his life that we know of. The only, it's the last letter that was brought into the New Testament. And he's writing to somebody he calls a brother, a companion. And we know who he's talking about. He's talking about Timothy. Timothy, right now, at this time, when Paul is writing, is leading a church in Ephesus. He's been given that assignment by the Apostle Paul. Paul considered him as a tremendous ambassador, and whenever he had a hard thing to do, Paul would send Timothy. When Timothy was sent to the Corinth church, church, the church was backslidden, it was in trouble, and Timothy was sent there to help that church, to restore that church. Then Paul sent Timothy to the Thessalonian church when they were facing severe persecution. And Timothy went there and he encouraged and supported and strengthened the Christians there. Of all the Christian preachers and all the missionaries, the Apostle Paul saw Timothy as his representative. He called Timothy God's fellow worker. That's a high compliment from the Apostle Paul. Now the question is, who raised this dynamic, un? Believable, unwavering Christian young man in the first century. Who did this? In verse 5, it gives us the answer. It tells us this. I am reminded of you, of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul was telling Timothy that your faith was influenced by your mother and by your grandmother. Notice in this passage that the father's never mentioned. Timothy's father's never mentioned. However, in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, it tells us this. Timothy's father was a Greek and apparently an unbeliever. So Timothy was definitely influenced by his mother and his grandmother and also by the apostle Paul. Not his father, for his father really wasn't in the picture of his development spiritually. So here we have Timothy, and when we think of Timothy's faith, let me say this. His faith wasn't given to him. In other words, his grandmother and mother didn't give their faith to Timothy. He didn't inherit it. It wasn't genetically given to him. Because God has no grandchildren. He only has children. What do I mean by that? 
That means that each individual has to make a decision on their own. You don't inherit the faith. You have to make a decision that you personally would give your life over to Jesus Christ. And when you make that commitment to Christ, then you have a relationship and you have a faith. So again, Timothy wasn't given, but he was influenced. And his mother and his grandmother influenced him. And how did they do that? By simply doing two things. By teaching and modeling their faith. Teaching and modeling. Let's look, first of all, at teaching. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, it says this. But as for you, meaning Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. How could Timothy know the scriptures from infancy? Because his mother and his grandmother were absolutely faithful to teach him the word of God. Remember, these are Jewish ladies. These are ladies that really would have known the commandments of God, especially in the Torah, in the five first books of the Old Testament. And there in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9, they would have known of this command. Listen to what it says. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. They would have known the commandment that God told them to teach their children the word of God. They would have told them that. But they also would have learned from this passage that they don't teach the word of God. They can't teach the word of God to their children by accident. They would have to be intentional. So let me say two things. First of all, you cannot teach what you don't know. You can't teach what you don't know. That's why it's so important, moms, grandmas, parents, that you learn from the Word of God so that you can teach from the Word of God. It's important, it's absolutely significant that you strengthen yourself in the Word so that you can strengthen your kids in the Word. Folks, please take advantage of all the wonderful opportunities that are here at Christ Church to be in the Word of God. There are so many Bible studies, there's adult Sunday school class, there's men's groups, women's groups, college groups, youth groups, I mean, on and on and on. So many opportunities to take advantage of the Word of God. Take advantage of of it, not just for your sake, but for the sake of your kids. Be in the Word of God. Teach your kids the Word of God. Second, teach your children the Word of God. To do that, you can't do that accidentally. You've got to be intentional. Listen, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. You've got to be purposeful, And you've got to make a plan, and then you've got to work that plan. I'll guarantee you, if you don't make a plan, you won't be consistent. Guarantee you. Remember what it says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's something that you cannot delegate to the church. Parents, the church can help you, but that's your responsibility. You've got to teach your children the word of God. Mothers, teach your children. Grandmothers, teach your children. Parents, teach your children. Teach them the stories of the Bible, but also teach them the lessons from those stories. 
Yes, teach them about David, that David was a young shepherd boy. And then God took this young shepherd boy and he became a king and he, and he guided and he directed the nation of Israel. Why? Because he had a heart after God. Teach them about Abraham. Abraham was blessed. Why was he blessed? Because he was willing to step out with God and follow him wherever he might go. He was obedient. That's why he was blessed. Teach them about the children of Israel and how when they were disobedient that they wandered in the desert for 40 years. In the wilderness, I should say. For 40 years. Teach them that there's consequences to being disobedient. Teach them about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sin and then walked out of the grave. And when he died on that cross and walked out of the grave, he overcame sin and death. That means he alone has all the power and the authority to forgive you of your sin and to give to you eternal life. Teach your children that. And that they have to make a decision themselves. They have to personally understand that they have sinned against God. But God has made a way for them that they can be brought back into a right relationship with him if they put their faith in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, let me say this to you. You might be in this room right now and you're not really sure whether or not you know Christ. You really have no idea how to have a relationship with him. That's how you have a relationship with him. You understand that you've sinned against him. You've broken his laws. But Jesus Christ so loved you that he died on that cross in your place, took your place, died and paid the penalty of breaking the law And now he walked out of the grave and he lives and you can have a personal relationship with him. And what you need to do is just simply say to Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I'm not perfect. I ask you to be my savior and you receive him as your savior and Lord by turning the way in which you're living and turn to him in a commitment to a living Christ. If you want to do that today, I'm going to give you that opportunity right now. If you'll bow your heads with me, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And if you'd like to ask Christ into your life, you can do that. And believe me, this prayer doesn't save you. Jesus Christ does. Simply pray a prayer like this. Oh, Father, thank you for sending Jesus. And that Jesus died on the cross for me. And he walked out of that grave. And because he did that, I can know that I can be forgiven. And I can have a personal relationship with him. I ask right now, Jesus, that you'd forgive me. Cleanse me, and I'm asking you to be my Savior and my Lord. For I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you prayed that prayer today, would you do this for me? I will be standing at the door at the end of the service. Come by, tell me that you prayed, and I want to help you along the way. But let's keep moving on today, and let's understand the second thing that we need to do. So that we need to teach our children, not only teach them the Word of God, but we need to model what we teach. We need to model what we teach. Look what it says in verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. That word sincere, that one word there, literally means non-hypocritical, without pretending. So what Paul is saying to Timothy, hey Paul, or Timothy, you're not, hypo- you're not a hypocrite. You're not phony. You're not pretending. No, your faith is sincere. That means that it's real. It's authentic. It's honest. It's transparent. And then he goes on and says, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you. Paul is saying, listen, your mom and your grandmother, oh, they influenced you. They lived before you an authentic faith, a real faith. And now you've seen them live and you caught what they taught. And now you have an authentic faith. 
Parents, I can't encourage you enough to understand that here in Christianity, more is caught than taught. Yes, you can teach the word of God, but if you don't put it into practice, your kids won't, won't believe. They'll see the hypocrisy in your life. And that's what you're going to teach them. You've got to walk this faith out. You've got to be the example. You've got to model what you teach. Does that mean that you have to be perfect? No. Matter of fact, in the scriptures, no one's perfect except Jesus Christ. No one. I talked about Abraham just a minute ago. Abraham, a great man of God who twice passed his wife off as his sister to sleep with the local king in order to save his neck. Abraham wasn't perfect. Eunice and Lois were not perfect. But they were not, they were, they were not hypocrites. They weren't phony. They weren't pretending. They were honest. They were real. They were authentic. They were transparent. Listen, folks. Parents, listen. When you make a mistake, when you blow it, when you screw up, don't hide it. Don't pretend. Just be honest with your kids. Tell them you blew it. Ask them to forgive you. Be real. And I'll guarantee you this, your kids will see that how real and how sensitive you are to Jesus Christ and it will impact them. They'll catch what you are. You'll influence them in a real way. So I got to encourage you to do that. It's so significant. I remember, I'll say this. There's a saying that's out there. Don't live by it. And the saying says, the saying says this, don't do what I do. Do what I say. That doesn't cut it. That does not work. You got to put to practice what you teach. I just did a men's retreat. And in that men's retreat, there was a young boy who was 16 years old that was there. He was the only teenager in the house. And he came up to me and he said, uh, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. And we sat down and he began to tell me a story. And he said when he was three years old, his mother was murdered and his father killed somebody and his, his father was in prison. So he, he was put into the foster care, and when he was six years old, he was adopted. He was brought into a Christian home. And when he was eight years old, he came to know Christ as his Savior and Lord. But a tragedy hit that family, and his foster brother, the parent's son, was killed. And after that, they went off the rails. They did a 180. When they were in church, they were one way. When they were at home, they were in a total different way. They lived a totally different life. And they began to do things to his sister and to him that are unspeakable. And of course, he walked away from God during that time. And finally, he was taken out of that home and put into another foster care home. And these parents were Christians, but he didn't believe them. And he told me, he said, I, I treated them, I was like a monster. I said things and did things to them that were horrible. But they disciplined me. But they disciplined me in love. They were the same way in church as they were in the home. No matter what I did and what I said, they were the same. They lived out the life of Christ right in front of me. They practiced what they taught. They were real. They were authentic, he said to me. And it impacted my life and it brought me back into a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And now I'm walking with God and I've asked God to forgive me. And I've been restored in my relationship with the Lord. And I love my parents because they were such a tremendous example of me, to me, about who Jesus Christ is and what he did, had done for me. And this really impacted this man, this young boy. 
And he said to me, he said, that's how I want to live. That's who I want to be. I want to be, and he said this, like my mom and my dad. He didn't call them his foster parents. He called them mom and dad. Parents, moms, grandmas, great-grandmas, I can't encourage you enough to live out what you believe, to model it. What we've learned is two things. We've learned that we need to teach the word of God, and then we need to put into practice what we, what we teach. We need to model what we teach. Now, this week I had every intention to go around and survey a bunch of people to find out how their mother influenced them. But I was really busy, i got to say that. I did manage to talk to four people. But I, I, I got some things to share today that are pretty exciting. One is that my son, Nathan, graduated from Trinity Seminary this Saturday. My son, Jonathan, graduated from Geneva College this Saturday. I had both of them graduate on Saturday. We had uh, one of the girls, our own, here at Christ Church, Abby Mangus. Abby Mangus won an, a tremendous award in the city of Pittsburgh from United Way. It's called the uh, Champion of Learnings. Learning. She won this award because of her service at Urban Impact Foundation. It was an unbelievable experience at Pittsburgh University when that young girl right here, one of our own at Christ Church, won that award. Matter of fact, I don't know if she's here, but if she's here, could you put your hands together for Abby Mangus? Abby, good job. But I did manage to talk to four people, and this is what they said about their mom. Mom has been my best example of what it looks like to pray faithfully. Mom gave me confidence that all truth is God's truth. Mom was my best example of hospitality and how important it is to welcome people into your home and to bear other people's burdens. Mom helped me not to give up on people who rejected the truth. She often says to me, life is long. Mom showed me what humble leading and humble following looks like. Mom taught me the importance of loving children. She would say that, it, that the highest mark of kindness and character to love and delight in a child. Mom taught me the importance of standing up for what is right, even when it's unpopular. The second person said this, the biggest influence my mom had on my life would be that she does what she believes is right not what she wants. It's simple, but the hardest thing to implement. Mom always has her devotions early, and mom is always willing to put others above herself. Sacrifice what she wants to have in order to allow someone else to succeed. She, was, she has full faith that God will bless her for keeping his greatest commandments, love God and love others. Mom in her life has allowed me to see someone Put those commands into practice every day. The third person said this, My mother taught me and showed me this great truth. Beauty is as beauty does. The fourth one said this, My mother influenced my faith because she stayed with me in the hospital from start to finish. Every time I'd go, she would be right beside me. That's why I could stay so positive, because mom was there praying for me and helping me bear the weight of my sickness. She never complained. She was there to help me when I was being reduced to nothing. She would sing for me and over me when I would get bad news and pray for me before surgeries. Today I'm alive and I have a relationship with God because my mother was sensitive to the spirit. 
I'll never forget the time mom and I were leaving one of my tests at the hospital and I was laughing and carrying on and a dad was crying. Because mom and I had hope as we were leaving the hospital, he asked us why, why we had so much hope. And mom told me to pray with him. And I did. And he received Jesus Christ as a savior. In the beginning of the sermon, I gave you this quote. When all is said and done, the greatest thing you will ever do is influence the life of a child. Ladies, it's enough to be a mother. If God has called you to be a mom, there isn't anything more significant you can do than be just that, a mother. Why? Because when you influence your children to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you make it possible not only for your child to be impacted, but generations. Remember, Eunice, Timothy's mother, invested in him, impacted him, and he became a tremendous impact in the first century. But because of her investment in her son, this morning we're being impacted. Remember, we're studying the book that bears her son's name, Timothy. She continues to make an impact today because she took the time to invest in her child and taught that one the word of God and then modeled what she taught. And because of that, she made a tremendous impact. I believe some of you have probably figured out the four people that I was talking about. I was talking about the Glovers. The Glovers. Look right here, Mom. Teach your children the Word of God and model what you teach. You'll impact them and they'll impact generations beyond you. Happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you and praise you for who you are. And I would ask, Lord God, that we as your people would take what we've learned today and we would put it into practice. Thank you for each mom. Thank you for each grandmother, great-grandmother. Thank you for every woman in this place. But I thank you for families today as well. Thank you that we're all those of us who put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we're part of the family of God. In Jesus' name, amen.